For over 27 years, LearnIt has helped more than 2 million individuals develop new skills and empowered them with confidence to thrive in an ever-changing workforce. We welcome you to the LearnIt podcast, where we come together as employees, managers, executives, and learning champions from across the globe to take time to focus on our professional development. Together, we will tackle today's toughest challenges and dive into the topics that are key to success in today's workplace. Stay tuned to listen and learn from LearnIt expert instructors and the LearnIt community in order to upskill, reskill, and achieve overall success in your career. To learn more about LearnIt and our diverse offerings of soft skill, business application, and health and wellness workshops, please visit www.learnit.com. So welcome everybody. This is going to be kind of a teaser taste of our a longer class about collaboration in a hybrid workspace, um, give you some things to think about and maybe try out uh, in your own workplaces in the coming days, weeks. And so I look forward to hearing from you. So just to give you a quick preview, we're going to start off talking about what collaboration even is and when we want to use it. We will then go into once we have our team, we want to make sure that our communication is really up to speed and make sure that all the channels are clear and open so that miscommunication and misunderstanding doesn't side rail us right in our in our attempt to work together on a project. And finally, I'm sure many of you have been in meetings throughout the pandemic where you log off after 30 minutes or an hour or three hours and you just think couldn't that have been done in about 15 minutes or was this necessary or I still have to get on another meeting to figure out what I'm actually supposed to do after this. And so the last piece of the workshop today will be uh, kind of different techniques to make your meetings more effective and to open that space for creativity. That's sort of our, our lens we're bringing on this workshop today per the July theme for offsite. So I will leave some time at the end for questions. And so we'll have the last five or 10 minutes to debrief a little bit, uh, clear up any uh, kind of further interests or questions down the line. But for right now, let's, let's get started. So I'd love for you all to type in the chat what collaboration means to you. How would you define it? There's no wrong answer here. Working together, great, thanks, Vanessa. What else? It could be an example of it. It could just be how you might, how you would write it in the dictionary. Getting together as group, teamwork, good communication to create new ideas and solutions, agreement, working with others in your organization to get a variety of different opinions, great, an exchange of ideas and solutions. Oh, I love that, the exchange element of it using the team's collective strengths to achieve a conclusion. These are great, everybody. Wow, you all should be leading this workshop. So another definition to add on to all of the elements that you discussed and what some of you hinted at is that you're not just working together. Usually the reason why teams are assembled is to get something done or create something new. And so then once you're done with that specific purpose, 
maybe that team is disbanded or it's a team that only gets together annually, or you might have to work cross departmentally for something very specific, but these are not the people who you necessarily are speaking with every single day at your job. And so I think that's an important piece to recognize that um, not only do you have a specific goal in mind, but you might be working with people who you aren't as familiar with in service of a larger goal. And so one question that, that can be useful just to double check and make sure, do we need to dive in uh, and start coordinating all of these different people and pieces from different departments is to answer a series of questions, um, just to make sure that everyone's on the same page and has the same understanding of, of what really is necessary for in the best interest of the organization and the goal. So if you have a pen and paper nearby, please feel free to jot notes down. Um, you don't need to copy this entire box, but um, it can be helpful for you if you wanted to refer back to this later. So the first question to answer is, is the problem or project complex? The second is, Will this problem best be solved with lots of different viewpoints, as some of you mentioned in the chat? Do we need different perspectives? And as Kathy said, an exchange of ideas to get to the best solution. And finally, will the solution require buy-in or face buy-in challenges, depending on who all of the parties are involved, you know, if there are outside vendors, if you are pitching something to a senior executive, it, it really depends on the situation. And so if you answered yes to any of these questions, it could be even two no's and a yes, then some degree of collaboration is necessary. And furthermore, if you'd like to use these questions as sort of a jumping off point to begin to shape how do I want to assemble my team? What does the timeline need to look like? These questions might be able to help inform, oh, you know what, given that we're gonna need to talk to this person down the road, we wanna make sure that we set up check-in points um, at you know, specific intervals along the way to make sure that by the time we get to our final presentation, that it's not out of left field that someone is, is up in arms about it. Wanda, feel free if you have a question or a comment, feel free to drop it in the chat so that uh, Carly can take note and we can get to it at the end. And so how do we do this? Um, how do we have a collaborative environment? And especially when a lot of us are working on hybrid teams where we might be in the office half the time, we might be fully remote, but our coworkers are in the office half the time. Maybe we are um, working across time zones as we are all on the line today doing. And so something that I think is really important and can sometimes be undervalued is the aspect of building trust to get these done. Sometimes it feels like there's a lot of time pressure for your project. You know, you don't have time to do a full breakout activity, day long retreat, you know, uh, to, to play games and trivia and get to know each other, right? And so what I will be talking about here to help encourage that comfort level and uh, trust between people to then open the space for collaboration and for more creative projects is 
things that you can do while getting the work done that's necessary for your project in, in these meetings, in these initial phone calls, in the planning sessions. So that's, that's my goal here. And I think sometimes that's undervalued, but even and especially in a virtual environment, when we are, have less in-person time together or where your meetings might all be with cameras off, um, it's harder to trust people that we feel like we don't know or that we don't know very well, right? Um, if a stranger pulls up, I, of course, I live in New York, so maybe this is a bias, but if a stranger pulls up in a car and says, hey, hop in, want to take a ride around the block? I'm going to say, no, I do not trust you. If my brother pulled up in the same car, even if I had, if I was trying to run groceries, I would say, oh, okay, why not? Um, and so it's harder for us to be at ease and therefore throw out ideas that might be kind of out of the box or pushing boundaries. It can be harder for us to ask questions and speak up when we feel like it's not a totally comfortable space. If we feel that someone is going to be judging or critiquing everything that we say, if there is outside pressure to conform. And so all of these things can end up really limiting the creative potential that a team has when they have been assembled specifically to solve a problem or address a challenge. And so here are some areas that can be helpful when trying to establish trust or think about when you, either if you are a leader of a team or if you are a participant uh, on a team, here are some things to think about when you're kind of analyzing your relationships and thinking, what? What do I need more of for this person to feel comfortable pitching my ideas? Or um, how can I, as the leader here, establish an environment where everyone feels comfortable speaking up? And so first thing is respect. And that comes across as, that comes across as having people feel valued as a part of the team, that they're not going to be overlooked or that they aren't just a plant in the room, uh, that, you know, they, they want to feel um, that they are a, a player. And that can come across in their experience, both verbal and nonverbal communication. Uh, sometimes it means offering credit and attributing uh, success to the ideas of specific people, calling out when someone uh, had a question that really sparked a great conversation. Offering reassurance, and this can be, again, a more passive and implicit in body language, how we present ourselves, as well as how we conduct meetings. If we have a more open forum discussion or if we set, uh, you know, examples from the outset that we want every single person to participate and that the leader or conductor of the meeting is not going to be the, the say-so in this particular circumstance. And finally, we want to establish that we feel a sense of responsibility to the team and to each individual that, you know, we have each other's back and that we can assume good intent to begin with that, you know, that, again, to build trust that one person isn't trying to sabotage the team or one person isn't trying to take over the entire project. And it can be easy, especially if we're in kind of a time pressure crunch situation to get nervous or fearful. And when we're in that state of mind, our brain naturally jumps to the biggest fears. 
And the biggest fears then can lead us to feel more defensive, um, make quicker kind of rash decisions that might again block the way to creative thought, which needs a lot of an open, much more open environment. And so I'd love for you all to take a moment now and think about a project that you have coming up and think about one person that you would like to focus on in terms of strengthening your relationship and trust. And if you don't have any projects specifically coming down the pike, this can be a great reflective exercise as well. So you can take a moment to think about, okay, what did I, what project did I just finish where maybe I, I felt like I needed a little more recognition from this person that they understood my contributions to the team. Or, you know what, maybe I didn't reassure this other person enough and so they ended up checking out. So it could be either a reflective exercise or a looking ahead to your next big project. But regardless, I'd like for you to take 20 or 30 seconds to, to think about one person who you think it would be really valuable to spend a bit of time addressing one of these areas to establish trust. All right, and we'll keep checking back in and, and having, um, I really emphasize, and I think a lot of learning instructors emphasize the importance of really getting specific because we can sit here and talk theory and pie in the sky all day long. But when it comes to actually making changes in your work routine, making adjustments to how you uh, lead lead your team, how you connect with other people in the workplace, how you get your work done, that takes specificity because if I just want to get better at something, uh, that's not something I can put down in my calendar. You know, today I'm going to spend 30 minutes getting better at writing a report. I need to figure out what exactly do I want to improve about this? And if I want to improve this part, how do I get that practice? Whose feedback do I need more of? Who do I want a consultation with to better understand what's being asked of me? And so the, the deeper you get in terms of what is it specifically, or why do I need this so badly? The more you can answer those questions, the clearer your path gets to figuring out, okay, so here's what that next step has to be so that you can actually achieve it. Something else that's really important here for Zoom meetings, for in-person meetings, uh, phone calls, if you have um, multi-ways phone calls is the idea of active listening, and that can be hard to do when uh, people are not visible to you or you know that you are not visible to the other person. And so we're about, I'm about to introduce a small way that you can reflect back to someone verbally that you are listening since you, they may not get the, the visual feedback that you're actively listening. But before I get there, I want to share the results of a study by Robert Cialdini, who is a professor emeritus of marketing and psychology, who wrote a very influential bestseller book in the 80s called Influence, the Power of Persuasion. And it's still used today in marketing and business classes because he conducted a study with uh, used car dealerships, with fundraising organizations and with telemarketers. And his goal was to figure out what makes a successful sale or a successful donation. And the common theory kind of going into it and which can still uh, be perpetuated today is the thought that, oh, if they like me, 
if I'm an appealing person, then they're going to want to buy what I have to offer. And while that might play a role, what he found to be the most influential in, in having the used car salespeople, the telemarketing folks, the people fundraising for their organizations, wasn't them peacocking about how likable they are. It was actually that they showed interest in their customer or donor or client. And the more that the salesperson showed an interest in their client, the more comfortable the client felt and the more that the client trusted the salesperson because they, they felt either explicitly through the words that the, per, that the salesperson used or implicitly through body language that they were really being seen and heard. And I think it's a very fundamental part of human existence that if you've ever been in an argument and feel like you're just not being listened to, or that someone's just talking over you, or they're not willing to take a moment and see your side of the story, right? That the reason that gets to us so deeply is that it's crucial and essential for human connection. And so taking this to our team collaboration, creativity uh, zone that we're working in right now, if you are starting out on a brand new team with people from other departments or outside organizations, you really want to make sure that you're showing that you are interested in them and listening to them because unfortunately, and this is, you know, we have to take the high road here. People have a hard time listening to you until they are comfortable that you've already listened to them. And so if you want to start off on the right foot with a new group and establish a very kind of equitable, supportive team environment, if you're a leader or not, you want to emphasize and, and take active note for yourself that it's very important to be present and attempt to show up for other people. So that when the time comes that you have an idea to offer or you have a question or a piece of constructive feedback, that the person is going to be more receptive to you because they can take your, your feedback in the context of all of the past interactions that they've had with you where you have demonstrated uh, that you have a positive intent and mindset about working with them. So I think this is kind of an underrated part of collaboration that goes back to simple human social relationships, but it's really key. And something that you can specifically do that actually has multiple uses is that when someone has finished talking about an idea or a proposal, that there is an opportunity immediately after for you to confirm not only that you were listening, but that you were understanding to the best of your ability what they were saying. And so the, the use of the word paraphrase is very specific here, because if you just say back exactly what words the other person said to you, that isn't necessarily proof that you took in and thought about and took the time to understand what they said, it's sort of just a mirror that immediately bounces back to them. And so it's a little less clear to them that you were truly taking in what they were saying. And so if you're able to put in your own words and say, 
and ask first, is it all right uh, if I confirm my understanding for a moment? So what I'm hearing from you is blah, 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 blah. Ask for confirmation at the end. That's really key. Did I get that right? Because if you didn't, if they felt misunderstood, this is a very low stakes situation where they can say, oh, actually what I meant was this other thing. And then great, you've cleared up a misunderstanding before the ball keeps rolling forward. And then you find out further down the line that you had two very different perspectives on the same idea, right? And so it not only prevents future snowballing issues of misunderstanding, but it also affirms to the other person that you are actively trying to really understand where they're coming from so that maybe you disagree and that's okay. But the point is that you tried to really understand their perspective on it and their reasoning. So again, you wanna start and ask, is it all right if I confirm my understanding with you or whatever phrase feels most genuine. Again, this isn't supposed to be a kind of robotic checklist of, of checking in with someone. You can really fine tune it to what feels comfortable to you. May I make sure I understand anything like that? What I'm hearing is, or what I understood was, and you know, you can walk through the summary in your own words of what you heard. And then really it's important to confirm and ask a question. Did I get that right? Did I miss anything? Is that correct? Because if you just recite what you heard and move on, the person doesn't get to say, oh, wait, actually, I forgot to mention this part, or oh, I think I misspoke here. So asking that final question is really important to, to kind of close the communication loop on that subject so that you can move forward on the same page. And so I'd like for you to try later today, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week at work, uh, seeing practicing this out on, on some of your coworkers and just have it be, maybe that's your goal for the next week to try uh, paraphrasing for confirmation one or two times. Um, and then you, you'll, you can fine tune again and practice with your, um, with your coworkers, see what, what phrases work for you, which don't feel as good, that kind of thing. So then we get to the idea. Maya, of, can I pause you for a quick sure. question? Yeah. I had, a, I had a question for you. Um, and this might resonate with some of our audience, but if you have someone that kind of moves, let's say you're, um, it's your boss, it's your manager and, and you have, and they move pretty quickly, right? Like they want to mm -hmm. get through the agenda. They want to move really quickly but you feel like you kind of need like clarification. You're like, oh wait, I want to make sure, you know, how do you kind of manage that when maybe you work in a place that moves really quickly? People are like, right, like you said, time is tight. Like where they're, like you said, there's like not a lot of time to build trust, you know, and they might be a little bit like annoyed if, you know what I mean? Do you think, mm. like, how do you kind of manage for that or just say like, or even just kind of explain, oh, I'm just, I'm doing this so I make sure we work successfully. I'm just wondering if you have any, tips around specifically like kind of um fast moving managers or you know what I mean that have oh, yeah. a million things right or maybe you're reporting all the way up to the CEO or something like that absolutely so if you have any um any tips around that 
Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for bringing that up, Carly. That is a very common experience. I was on a meeting earlier this morning where I actually had to do exactly that to the COO. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I have a quick technical question. And in that case, that was what I felt was a succinct um, way to uh, and I, of course, I waited until he was done speaking. I wasn't butting in. Um, I think whatever uh, nervousness I felt about, and it's a little different because the CEO I was speaking to is a very nice man, but uh, who isn't super rushy. But I think there are a couple different things I'm thinking about here. One is that to uh, emphasize from the get-go that uh, if it truly is a quick question for clarification to to say so and if it isn't don't lie and say i have something quick why did you choose to approach it this way right um the other piece that i think can be helpful is if the meeting is really it is actually very crunched and you know they're going to the next one and there's one you know it's 3.59 and they have a four o'clock meeting, write it down and make sure you table it um, so that you can either write an email to follow up. Um, if there's a way to, if it is, a, you know, a senior exec to speak with their administrative assistant or, or find a way to get time on the calendar to clarify again, and you actually even said this a little bit in your example, Carly, I really want to get this right for the success of the project. And that it's not about, I'm super needy, you know, I, you know, I'm a slow processor, whatever stigma that, that you are worried yeah. about presenting. Uh, if you can frame it in the service of the larger goal to make your boss's life easier, I actually want to clear this up so that we don't have to schedule another meeting in three weeks about it. Or I think if, if, you know, if we answer this question, then uh, I will, I'll be, be set for the next two months for this particular goal, whatever it is, to show that you're very conscious of their time and understand that they're busy. And so, um, but that ultimately, this question isn't just a, you know, a uh, self, uh, I don't want to say self-aggrandizing, like um, anything just for your own, right. just out of curiosity, right? That it right. truly is necessary. And then it kind of serves a double purpose of also reflecting to your superior that you care a lot about the work and getting the work done right. Mm -hmm. And that it's in little moments like this that you can build reputation, credibility, as being someone who is a hard worker, who's thoughtful, mm -hmm. you know, and every once in a while, yes, you'll have an exception to this rule where someone just is really um, impatient and, you know, very close minded. And then you might want to work with, with um, someone who you feel would be more receptive to your questions, right? If someone truly is a brick wall that you can't get to, uh, you might want to try and find a workaround or actually schedule a meeting, not about that particular project, but to touch base with them and say, hey, you know, I wanted to um, have a, you know, either mini performance review or a check-in of sorts about our communication or about our relationship because um, our work relationship, because I want to make sure that 
our meetings are effective and that I'm doing the best work I can do uh, and that we can save ourselves all some time. And so if it's a consistent issue that, you know, they're never leaving time for questions, then you might want to actually ask for time to approach the larger right. issue rather than just one question. Right. Um, and something that is also something to keep in mind for people who are leaders who do have direct reports is that it's not always often that when someone comes onto your team or someone gets hired that their manager sits down with them and says how do you like to be managed or what was one of the best traits of your favorite boss that you've ever had and so from the obviously if you're already six months or six years into a relationship that might look a little different but there's so much opportunity when you're starting out in a new managerial position or if you have a new manager to have a a, a kind of a casual positive uh, relationship conversation about is it email or slack or teams or zoom or you know whatever it is so that um any further misunderstandings or back and forths about which forum to use that could add to stress or add to frustration about a project, you're reducing the likelihood of needing any of those things to happen if from the get-go you're clear about your communication style. So that's that's <laughs> everything that I can think of relating to that. Um, you. But I do think, yeah, writing it down so that if there truly isn't time that you don't forget. And also the other big takeaway is phrasing and phrasing it in the context of the larger goal that helps them. And, you know, side that helps you do your job. But really, if the person is difficult to work with, then you really have to cater to emphasizing how convenient this is going to be for that person. Yeah. Thanks Thank for asking, Carly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. that makes total sense. Thanks, Nadia. Great. And so the last piece of this, so those were all the, you know, reflecting back what you heard, um, thinking about ways to build trust so that people feel more open proposing new or out of the box ideas. Those are all um, at play here. And the final piece I wanted to mention and, and talk about a little bit is the leading effective meetings aspect because as I said at the beginning, I would be willing to bet a decent amount of money that everyone here at least once in the past two and a half years has come off of a virtual meeting and just been frustrated with <laughs> what did not get done or how unclear or disorganized the meeting was. And so when we think about um, collaboration, hybrid teams, trying to have more creative projects, you know, sometimes it is down to the technicalities of how things are done that can really make a difference. And that there isn't some magical formula of, oh, if you play this music, then people are going to have better ideas, right? Um, as much as I would love a silver bullet, that isn't possible. So instead we have to turn to very grounded effective modes that that psychologists and business leaders have developed over time uh, to to lead effective teams and before i dive in i would love to tap into the knowledge that you all already have based on your careers and personal experience in the in the varieties of workplaces that you're in 
What has worked well for you all? When you think about effective meetings, it's easy to complain, but I would love to hear in the chat, what are some elements that you have observed about what makes effective meetings? When you come out of a great meeting, it's like, oh, that was awesome because the leader did this or because the agenda looked like that um, or that we had an agenda or you know anything like that. All right, Carly Rudd's clear agenda is communicated before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Amanda sort of a, to tag on to that, that, that people read it before the meeting so that there isn't time bubbling around. Yeah. What else makes a good meeting? That everyone knows next steps. Yeah. Oh, great, Kathy. Yeah, tailoring the agenda so that it hits on the skills of the people in the room so that it's very clear that if there is a problem or a challenge that everyone has the tools to solve it and that everybody individually has something to contribute to solving it. And yes, it helps with engagement too. Great. Anything else about what makes a good meeting? Doesn't matter how big or small. Maybe having music enter, as people enter the Zoom room is actually something that really helps morale. Great. Dave, yes, inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different ways that, that could take place. It could be um, if it's a if it's a monthly meeting on a team, maybe it's that people take turns facilitating. So it's not that someone's assuming the boss role, but in terms of the person who's in charge of running through the agenda ideas and keeping track of time, that that can help give people practice in taking a more um, authoritative position and also allows for um, everyone else to have the chance to see and respect and respond to uh, different everyone at some point or another. Yeah, tell jokes. You could always you can also start off or close out with, you know, the best dad jokes you've heard recently. Um, or, you know, from Saturday Night Live for the US folks or global, you know, um, funny skits that came up, fun visual slides that aren't so wordy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can be very helpful. And I also think keeping uh, having sort of a mix of, and I, you know, I've done this in this our uh, workshop already, there are times when maybe if we're not talking about the slide directly, maybe we come off from having that view so that everyone can see each other's faces a bit better. Um, or even having uh, a requirement in your internal meetings that cameras are turned on just so that you can have a bit more camaraderie than usual. Um, the other piece that can be helpful, this is a side thing that maybe some of you are aware of, but in case you aren't, um, part of, scientists have found that part of what makes remote work so exhausting for people is the fact that they can see themselves on the standard Zoom screen and that it's very distracting. And so it takes extra energy to focus on what people are talking about, to you know, read the agenda, to look at the chat, whatever it is, because we're constantly having to edit out of our vision ourselves. And of course, then it's hard not to notice and pick apart every single thing that seems out of place to us. And so something that really helps keep us focused and not as distracted with everything is to go to, in, in my computer, it's the top right, corner where it says view and 
there should be an option there when your cameras are on um, that says hide self view. So your camera is still on for everyone else to see and respond to, but you are not being distracted by all of your facial expressions. <laughs> I've been there. It's not fun. So that was another piece that I wanted to quickly, quickly get at. But in our last 15 minutes or so, because I promise we will get you all out on time and I will leave some time at the end for questions. I wanted to quickly get at some elements of effective meetings that um, kind of either touch on what people have already discussed and maybe can build on it as well. People have talked about, I think um, Carly wrote clear agenda, that's huge. I think that kind of gets at the middle topic here of achieve a defined objective. Um, something that I think is really key that, that isn't always uh, paid attention to is this first bullet point, separate the tactical from the strategic meetings. So tactical is, is more about um, what's the status on this? When can you get this in by? Who's getting which thing done? Uh, you know, any updates on that? You know, that kind of thing. They're a, a little more traditional or, or what I think of when I think of in general a business meeting. Strategic meetings, and this is what gets back to our theme of the month here, strategic meetings is where we have more of that creative element because we might be brainstorming responses to problems or planning the big picture direction of the project and we have different options to choose from. And so sometimes the reason why meetings can be so frustrating is that you were there to just make sure that everyone's on track with their individual assignments, but then someone has a question about what approach to take and everyone starts jumping in with their ideas and then you fall down a rabbit hole and an hour goes by and then maybe that one person has had some help, maybe they still have questions that aren't answered, but everyone has to log off anyway. And so separating the meetings that are, you know, bullet point, you know, yes or no kind of questions, did you do this, do you need more time, you know, um, how, how are we doing on our deadline, separating those meetings from kind of a more open forum time for creating uh, outlines, coming up with different ideas, um, going around in a circle and everyone pitching in a question that they have so that um, no one feels, uh, Dave talked about inclusivity, this is a, a great um, tool to use for meetings if you find that some people are more quiet that if you uh, have a kind of go around the circle type thing where everyone has to ask one question about the project or one element, question about one element, then no one feels silly if they actually had a question that they were afraid to ask because everyone is in the same boat. And it could be a clarifying question. It could be a kind of more of a pondering question, right? But creating that opportunity where the goal is not to answer questions or judge questions or critique questions or fix, you know, rephrase questions, but just to get the questions out there for thought, that can also help it within those strategic meetings. And finally, I think someone wrote, let's see, uh, Vanessa wrote, everyone knows next steps. I think that ties into this last point here about our actionable, that if it's just, can everyone think about this before next week? I've certainly heard that before. Again, getting back to that specificity, 
if I don't have something to check off or say, oh yes, I actively did that. Like I can close my eyes and think for, you know, a couple minutes, but that isn't going to be as thorough as if I did research on something, summarized thoughts, created a document, created a list of questions to ask other people, right? Those things are tangible results that you get from thinking that uh, are actual deliverables for the next time your team checks in. Um, and then another element of having a very clear agenda is that when you have these, these actionable steps that you follow up and the top of the next meeting or at some point in the next meeting, even if it's two minutes at the end, to check in with people so that things don't fall through the cracks and to establish that sense of ownership and responsibility for each team member that they are being asked to contribute something the following time and that they can't just uh, get away from it either from not doing it or from feeling self-conscious about it that no matter what they have to contribute it's important that it's followed up on great I think what you all put in the chat really helped set up a lot of the connections that that we're making here in terms of what makes effective meetings Something that is also really helpful is to assign someone in the meeting to be kind of the watcher. Because sometimes things will be talked about in the meeting of, oh yeah, someone should probably do that, or oh yeah, we might wanna look into that. But that is sort of an offhanded comment that then doesn't get followed up on. And so if one person every meeting is designated as the watcher, their ears are, are raised, perked up to, to listen for those comments so that when something happens, oh yeah, we should look into that, that either in that moment or if people are on a roll, taking note of it so that at the end of the meeting, you can bring up to the group, you know, someone mentioned we should look into this, um, who's gonna do that and when, and you know, what are the details of what, what might be the task here so that you don't end up repeating the same ideas that never get acted on so that you can actually make progress with it. And so um, whether you use this exact phrase or anything like it, I think is the, the point is that someone is on the lookout for those things that might fall through the cracks that could actually be really effective action items. And this actually goes back to um, assigning roles as well in other ways, something that could be helpful for your team. Um, there are all sorts of different acronyms that are thrown around. And so this is just another one that might be a kind of refreshing take if you find that uh, you're feeling a bit stuck with your team. Uh, so you want to make sure that people are A, aware of what is in their purview and what is not so that people don't feel micromanaged. Right, I've, I've certainly felt that way before. Um, so that the leaders can have trust that what they want. A lot of the reason why uh, higher ups might start micromanaging is because, not because they think you can't do it, it's that they're worried kind of existentially that something won't fall through the cracks or it won't be good enough in their terms or something like that. And so if they can have confidence that that you are clear on what they need and that you are going to do it, 
then they're less likely to start trying to get involved in the ins and outs of it. And so I would like to bring your attention to some common reasons why projects fail. Um, and you can notice here, the first two is, are very much about communication. And so again, setting up those communication lines from the beginning are really important. And understanding the reach of the type of work you might need to do and how you are going to get um, the answers you need. And finally, although, you know, inclusive collaborative environments are very important for coming up with new ideas because people can suggest something, someone else builds on it and it grows and evolves because a bunch of minds are working together. If there's no final decider on something, projects can peter out or go sideways or, you know, just get stalled in one way or another. And so even if, uh, you're reluctant to have a, a head honcho type person because of the power dynamics that that might set up. Um, it still is important to come up with some check system to make sure that uh, the project continues moving forward and that uh, someone is, is there to make a decision at the end of the line. And so when thinking about assigning roles, the acronym RAPID can be really helpful. And it's kind of a checks and balances type system. And so uh, the recommender is sort of the person who guides the process in the beginning, uh, in the planning stages, they might um, gather input, they might make a key decision or, rec or a recommendation about a course of action. Um, the agreeers, they just have to double check the recommenders. So. Um, they could, and these people might have the power to veto what the recommender thinks, um, but they kind of are there as sort of a safety net in terms of doing the research, double checking, um, maybe modifying the proposed recommendation or providing an alternate one. And if the recommender and agreeer happen to really disagree on something, we'll get to that. The performers are the people who actually are doing the work who actually are in the trenches, doing the research, making the calls, writing the reports, making the presentations, whatever it is. Um, so they might not have as much of the oversight as the recommenders might have, but they're doing the really detailed specific work on the ground. The input people are usually outside of the team because they're kind of like the SMEs for this, the subject matter experts, they might, um, provide insight uh, on past projects. They might be a good person to run ideas by to judge feasibility. And then finally, the decider is one person, right? There could be many performers here. There might be many people giving input, but there has to be one decider who is the ultimate point of accountability. So that's if the recommender and agreer are, are at a standstill, then they have to take it to the decider. And the decider person, might be pretty far removed from all the ins and outs, right? And so that still means they need to be informed by what's happening and so that they can um, make, you know, take uh, accountability and authority in making their decision. And so you might wanna try this out in the next uh, 
in the next project you have with people. Um, something that is sort of extra information about it is that it's not necessarily just down the line, R to the A to the P to the I to the D. Um, sometimes the recommender role consults directly with the input person. Um, and then they might then go to the agreeer um, to, to double check and run by things. Um, the recommender might also have to go all the way to the end and, and consult with the higher up, who's the decider person. Um, and, and then the recommend role also is the person who kind of delegates tasks or gets feedback on what kinds of tasks to delegate from the people performing the role. Thank you for joining us on the Learn It podcast. We wish you well on your learning journey and see you next time.